We are in the second week of a series that we've called The Other Side of Fear. And if you weren't here last week, that's fine. I'll just encourage you to go back and watch that. And these weeks kind of build on one another, but I don't think you're going to get lost today. I don't, I'm not making it too complicated. So um, I'm going to give you a brief recap of the theme verse and the question that sort of drives uh, this series. The theme verse comes from 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for God has not, well, I'm going to read this first, and then I want us to read it, read it together. I forgot. This is one of those I really want you to kind of put in your memory, all right? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Let's just read that verse uh, together today as a church. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. One more time, read it again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's our theme verse. And the reason we, 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 I love the way Paul describes this is he doesn't talk about fear from the standpoint of fear being one thing. He talks about the spirit of fear, lowercase s, catch that, the spirit of fear that is kind of an underlying thing that rides beneath the surface in our lives, and a, a great deal of things are rooted in that spirit of fear, and he knows that. Matter of fact, God was very prepared. You know, uh, one of the most repeated commands in Scripture is, do not be afraid, or don't be afraid, and fear not. It's one of the rep most repeated commands over and over and over. Why? Because God knew that we were going to spend our lives with life, you know, with life coming at us and us responding to things that were going to cause us to respond in fear. And that the spirit of fear was going to be so powerful in our life. It was going to be something so, again, beneath the surface, just rooted in so many things. So God had to kind of help us out and be like, look, I know, I know that it's natural. It's part of the sinful nature that you're going to want to respond in fear, but trust God. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I mean, all the different ways in which this is said. So the question that we're addressing in this series is how? How do we get to the other side of fear? Right? That's our challenge. How do we? We're not going to ignore it. <laughs> we're not going to pretend it away. Well, it's just faith over fear. No, duh. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you can get like a Christianese response to that. But that's not it. Like, like, we don't ignore the fact that these things exist and that these things cause fear in our life and that we respond in that way. But we do want to talk about what does that intentional move look like to understand the power and the love and the sound mind, the discipline needed to get to the other side of fear. And I introduced this to you last week. Again, I won't give you the whole example, but I talked about football and I talked about the line of scrimmage and that every team comes into a game, comes into that line of scrimmage with a game plan, all right? They come in with a game plan. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And about, you know, 20 seconds into the game, sometimes that game plan is shot, thrown out the window, right? Because they don't know what the defense is going to throw at them. And so you'll oftentimes see the quarterback with a little play sheet like this, and he's got, he's got what I call a response plan. Between the coach and the quarterback, they're always looking at what the defense is throwing at them, and they're trying to respond to it, right? Everybody with me? Nod your head. It's a response plan in terms of how do we now respond to what's coming our way. And I, and I kind of shared last week, like, this is what we do, and, and this is part of what we need 
as followers of Christ, when it comes to the things that are going to tap into that spirit of fear, we need a response plan. Matter of fact, I read to you last week, Isaiah 41.10, which is one of mine. It says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You need to have that one written down for your response plan. That's Isaiah 41.10. 2 Timothy 1.7, you need to remember, you've not been given that spirit of fear. That didn't come from God. Right? You've got, what do you got from God? You've got power. You've got love. You've got discipline and a sound mind. We need this response plan. Why? Because faith, our faith, is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of fear, but the presence of absolute hope. At nowhere, listen, at nowhere in Scripture did God ever tell us that He would just remove out of our lives the thing that caused fear. Like he's not going to remove, he doesn't look at the, he doesn't, you all, all of a sudden become a Christian and there's no defense anymore, right? You just trot your way to the goal. And yet for some reason, Christianity is getting sold that way to people or they're hearing it that way that if I come to Christ, well, all my problems are solved and this is supposed to happen and I can move mountains and face giants and do so forth. I'm not even going to have to face giants. God will just wipe the giants away. And at no point is that, is that the case because God does not remove those things that cause fear. It's not the absence of the, of, the, of the response that we've been given, that, that initial response of fear, but it's the presence. He said, I'm going to be with you. Trust me, fear not, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. It's not the absence of fear, but the presence of absolute hope, the presence of Jesus himself. Now, this principle we're going to talk about today is, is a pretty basic principle. And, it, and here's the idea. We cannot change what we cannot identify. Right? If I were to ask every person in the room, do you respond in fear to the things that come, come at you in life? The majority of you would be like, no. Nah. No. I don't respond in fear. Because most, for most of us, we think fear is one thing. Fear. Scared. Right? We're not talking about the spirit of fear. We're thinking just fear. Well, I don't, I don't live in fear. I don't respond in fear. And I'm like, but, but the reality is, is that that is so much, that is really a lie. And we can't change it. We can't change what we can't identify in ourselves in terms of how we respond. And that's the key word here. I want you to think. It wasn't a mistake that I talked about a response plan. It's because the way in which we respond often reveals what's really going on inside. And so I put it this way, that the face of fear, or you can even say the face of fear, because I'm talking about several ones, but you might have one that's more kind of your go-to. The face of fear, it reveals itself in our response, meaning that you can have a game plan, you can have an intentionality, you can be like, I love Jesus, yes I do, how about you? You know, you can have that all in you, but the reality is, when push comes to shove, when, the, when you hit the mat, when you go to the line of scrimmage, and, they, and, your, and your enemy starts to press in on you, you're going to respond. And the way you respond is going to reveal whether there's a spirit of fear at work in your life. So it reveals it. So let's talk through. I gave you this quick list last week, but I want to just walk through it a little bit more slowly, just so that you can begin to kind of flesh out and maybe identify for you What's something you know you struggle with that is actually rooted in a spirit of fear? 
I'll go through the list. Uh, you go ahead and put the list up, and I'm going to read off here. Perfectionism and procrastination. Now, these feel like two opposite ends of a personality, don't they? Like a personality trait. Because, by the way, all of these responses, we sort of normalize. We normalize these things as, well, that's just, that's just the way that person is. But your perfectionism, honestly, is rooted in how people see you and how people value you and how people judge you. Your procrastination is rooted in whether your fear of, of, of success or your fear of failure and the expectations that you place on yourself or the others place on you. That's perfectionism and procrastination. Anxiety and worry. These are sometimes two, of the same, two sides of the same coin, but anxiety is one of the most treated mental illnesses right now in our, in our, in our country, is anxiety. And don't, don't hear me say that this, this, this issue of anxiety is not something that sometimes needs medical intervention or these things, but I think oftentimes we very quickly go there rather than dealing with what it is that we're anxious about, what it is that causes this anxiety, those intrusive thoughts, those unwanted thoughts that plague your mind and cause the anxiety, the worry around all the what-ifs. Do we have any what-ifers in the room? Yeah? You're laughing because you know you are, right? And what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if... And it just causes, this, stirs up this worry in you. And again, we, just trust me, we've, we've normalized this. We've made worry and anxiety acceptable responses in life. Because we would never say that we live by fear. And yet many of us are living very anxious and very worried. Anger, panic. Anger oftentimes comes out primarily because we're a victim mindset. We're out of control. You know, anger rises up in you because you've been offended. You've, you, you know, something's happened that you didn't see coming. Panic oftentimes just comes because you're overwhelmed and you don't feel like there's any hope. So panic comes, comes in almost in the same way. You're out of control, but, the, but that feeling you have is more overwhelmed and no hope, which response, the response there is panic. Apprehension, that's a quiet one. That's one that most people don't even have to know. But you can live your entire life constantly evaluating outcomes and being very risk-averse to trying anything new, experiencing anything new, saying yes to anything new, all because you have a constant state of apprehension which is rooted in a spirit of fear. Impatience. Ooh. It's going to hit everybody. What is impatience? Well, it's an issue of control. And it's, it's a fear of missing out. It's a fear of the next thing. It's an urgency of the next thing. You guys know what FOMO means? FOMO, fear of missing out. Where do you think impatience comes from? Right? There's an urgency about what's next that you're so concerned and overwhelmed about that it draws up and stirs up this impatience. Success and compromise. Success is oftentimes rooted in a spirit of fear. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense, man. Doesn't everybody want to be successful? Sure, I understand the desire to be successful, but the drive to be successful is oftentimes rooted in a fear of failure and a fear of being not valued the way you should be valued. You know, and, you, and we look at it, we kind of celebrate it in our culture, like, oh, they're an overachiever, look at them go. But that person will never experience contentment. That person will never experience fulfillment and peace. 
because their drive for success is in a spirit of, is rooted in a spirit of fear. Compromise is when you settle too often <laughs> and you don't push yourself and you don't push what maybe God has, you know, on the other side again of that, of that fear, on the other side of that door, you just sort of resign and you settle. And then control issues, which I'll be honest, I could do a whole sermon on this. And we all have them, right? Just be honest. Like we all have, it doesn't matter what it is. It could, it could literally be, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if everybody knew all the control issues you had, you'd be embarrassed, all right? How you sleep, how you eat, what you do, why you do, why you sit a certain way in a restaurant, why you look a certain, why you got to drive all the time, you know? Like there's just, I mean, there's control issues off the board. And I just want you to hear, hear it from me. I, I understand everybody has them, but we have normalized our control issues to be perfectly normal. And yet we don't even examine or think about the way we respond and how much of that might be rooted in the spirit of fear. And there's some danger in that. So I want to kind of walk us through um, a few passages of scripture as we kind of look through that. But very quickly, I do want to, I do want to um, share this quote with you. And I've got to give you a little setup because it's kind of a strange quote. C.S. Lewis, for those who don't know C.S. Lewis, he was a brilliant scholar. And he had a God-given imagination, man. If you love the Narnia series, I, love, I grew up on that. I love the Narnia series. They're phenomenal. He wrote so many amazing books, though, because he was crazy smart. One of the most powerful books, though, that, that my wife and I ran across, I don't know how many years ago, was called The Screwtape Letters, okay? And it is, for those of you that um, you heard it, right, that's a, that's a difficult one to read and to get through because the entire story is this imaginative story of a junior demon, okay, a junior demon who corresponds with his uncle, who was a senior demon, or I don't know, mid-management mid maybe, I don't know about the best way to, to manipulate and control their subjects, a.k.a. us, people. And this is a quote that's always got me. This is, this is the uncle speaking to, um, the uncle screwed up speaking to the junior. He says, the future is filled with hope and fear. But we want a man hang-ridden by the future, haunted by visions of an imminent troubles. Why? Ready to break God's command in the present. If by doing so, we can make him think that he can contain, attain control over his future. Like just C.S. Lewis in a very creative way, just uncovering that strategy of, you know what? Man is so outcome driven. Mankind is so outcome driven in their sinful nature. That if we can just haunt them with the worst case scenarios, the what ifs, the, the intrusive thoughts, if we can haunt them with the things that are where they think for sure are going to happen, they will do all, they will do everything they can, including break God's command, including not live according to how God wants them to live, in order to assure themselves that they might actually have control over the future. What a way to just unveil that. I, I mean, I just think it was brilliant. 
because this is what C.S. Lewis, this is all God knew. We respond this way. Now, I'm not going to get into it today, maybe a little next week, but if you just want to look it up, look up the lizard brain. Have you guys ever looked this up before? If you look up the lizard brain, okay, this part of it, and it's got a, lot of, a bunch of scientific terms into it, the back of your base of your skull. It, if you look up the lizard brain in terms of how fast it works in comparison to your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of you that processes things, it will astound you at how fast the lizard brain works before you even have a chance to quote unquote think about it okay i'm just telling you this then this is all driven i believe the spirit of fear lives there (laughs) sets up residency there lewis knew this again god knew this It's it's a tactic as old as time for the enemy we cannot change what we cannot identify and so that's what i want us to do today just i want you just thinking through the question what is it what face of fear shows up? What is, what is the things, what are the things that, that I've kind of discounted as normal that are really rooted in a true spirit of fear? And what is that doing to my walk with Christ? What is that doing to my faith? So we'll go from there. I'm going to read just a few verses from Galatians 5, one of my favorite, favorite chapters Galatians 5, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. This is how he starts it off. So Christ has truly set us free. Again, I got a great, there's a great theme of freedom today. But he's truly set us free. He's delivered us. He saved us, right? Now, this is Paul telling the church. I want you to make sure that you say the words out loud. I want to make sure that you stay free. Isn't that interesting? That Christ set you free. Matter of fact, the NIV, I think, says, for freedom he sets you free. Now I want you to stay free. Don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Don't get yourself all tied up again to this thing that's going to take you off course. Now, in context, I will share the context. The context of this, in terms of the church in Galatia, is they had this little ritual called circumcision, by the way, little ritual called circumcision, which goes all the way back to the old Jewish covenants and commands. And, and they believed there was a lot of Jewish people that believed that, well, even the Gentiles, okay, okay, okay. Gentiles can become Christians too. Okay. Okay. But you got to get circumcised. You got to cut it off, you know, or whatever. You got to snip it. You got to do it. I guess that's a no brainer. And, and they were falling for it. They were actually people going, oh, I guess we, I guess that's just part of being a good Christian. You gotta, you gotta do this thing. And Paul said, look, that's not at all what I taught you. And that's not at all true. And that's not at all the way this works. And this is why he had to say, look, guys, Christ has set you free. Please, please do not get tied up again in slavery. In this case, slavery to the law, to something that was going to take you off course, something that was going to hold you back. Here's Galatians 7. Which is, again, he sets up the question that we're asking today. You are running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? Now, he's asking a specific who, because somebody came in there and taught him that junk, and he's mad about it. But he's like, who who put this in your mind? Now, watch what he says. It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who freed you. It ain't him. 
And then he goes on to say this false teaching, right, this, this idea that you can get to God on your own terms, that there's something you do that's so important that if you don't do it, you mess up God's plan. That's what circumcision, that's what they were saying circumcision did. This is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough, right? The whole batch, the whole loaf of bread is going to be affected by this horrible little, even this little tiny thing, this, this, this little bit of teaching. And this is where I think he sets up the question that we're asking today. Where does this come from for us? You know, like where does the spirit, why does the spirit of fear take over and really begin to affect our lives and our walk with Christ. And he says, who, you know, who has kept you from the truth? Well, I want you to notice the two things. First, he says it's not God. Right? It's not God. And we talked, again, we talked a lot about this last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But we talked last week, but look, like one of the tips and tricks of the enemy is to try to convince you and convince us that when we experience things that might cause worry, panic, fear, and raise up all those responses, control issues, when we experience those things, that it's God's fault, that he's ignoring us, that he's not doing his part of the contract. He's not doing his part of the job. And we think it's his fault. And we, you know, again, last week we shared, we read Romans 8, one of the great chapters in Romans 8, you know, who can separate it? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So it's not God. Like this is Paul just kind of reiterating that. It's not God. You gotta, you gotta get that in your head. That when you experience these things, it is not him. Second, though, is he wants us to understand how even a small thing can have a huge impact in our life. This tiny little thing kind of married in, merged in, weaving its way like yeast into the dough, into the into there can can and can really affect the whole batch. Right? The whole thing. And what I wrote down in my notes is, look, when we justify, when we justify our response, you know, in fear, and we try to marry it with our faith, it begins to lead us off course. Because it's rooted in the spirit of fear. And that didn't come from God. Think about it this way. Here's two, two things quickly. Any one of our fear responses, panic, worry, anxiety, Success. Any one of our, our responses that are rooted in the spirit of fear all comes about by the what could be, right? Because we don't know what could happen, what's going to be the case, how that's going to turn out, what's the, you know, what's, what's the, you know, what, what's going to be over there, what's going to happen here, what's going to be left, what's going to be, you know, gained, what's going to, it's all about what could be. And we're so driven. Again, we're outcome driven mankind. Like we're so driven by that. Just why fear is so powerful. But, but if you start thinking about the faith response, the way in which God says, do not fear, don't be afraid, he roots all of that in who he is. You know, when he said, don't be afraid, Joshua, we talked about that last week, be strong and courageous. It wasn't like he wasn't going to have to go up against Jericho. Right? This wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to take care of Jericho. No, he did. <laughs> he did but they didn't know that right that was they could have responded in fear of what could be but instead their faith response their response in faith was 
but we got God. God's on our side. Like, we know who he is. He said he'd be with us. He'd never leave us or forsake us. That's who he is. And our response in faith comes out of that. And when that happens is when we experience freedom. This is the freedom that, that Paul is talking about in Galatians 5.1. It's for this kind of freedom that he set you free. Not the kind of freedom where you're going to be free of things that cause fear. But you're going to be free to respond and have a faith response to those things. You're going to have a faith response to those things. That's going to be truly, truly free. Verse 17. Go back to those things. Verse 17, I'm not going to read it, but Galatians 17 says, these two forces, talking about the spiritual life and the, and the, and the, the, spiritual, the sinful nature and the spiritual life, they're constantly fighting each other. Paul's just like, look, they're, they're always at war. So you can't trust your good intentions. You know what that means? Don't trust your gut. Okay? This isn't about being your authentic self or the true version of you crap that people are peddling. Okay? Like, don't, don't, don't go there. This is Paul saying these are constantly at war. You can't do that. You're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to be intentional about knowing where the spirit of fear is, knowing the response you want to have, and then making a different choice, making a faith response instead in order to get to the other side of fear. And again, I wrote this down. I, I want you to hear this because I think this is important for us. We're so driven by outcomes that just like the screw tape letters, we will oftentimes skirt what God says, we will deny what God says, we will choose to live in ignorance of what God says so that we can control our own outcomes. And yet we will walk around with bumper stickers of Jesus and we will claim faith and trust in God. And you know who sees through that crap the quickest? Your kids. The next generation. No wonder Christianity is the way it is right now. Because we've had too many generations of Christians who have justified a spirit of fear in how they respond and live in their daily lives that the kids who grew up in that faith couldn't put words to it, they didn't know how to say it, but they were like, that's bogus. You say this, but you live like this. You don't live any differently in response to life than Jimmy's mom who doesn't go to church. So how are you telling me that this faith is real? Everybody with me? Oh, because the next generation needs to see this change in us. They need to see this change in us. To where we don't have just a natural fear response to life, but we actually have a faith response. We have a game plan. We have a response plan. Again, it's practice. It's rehearsed. It's planned for. Right? Here's some of the faith responses. I'll go ahead and open mine up. When we respond, the faces of freedom look like this. Love. Love. Remember, we weren't given a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And right now, especially online and in this world, boy, it's so easy to hate people. It's so easy to hate people. It's so easy to hate people's agendas. It's so easy to cast people out. It's so people easy to ignore and, and marginalize people than it is to truly love them. But when we're not operating out of a spirit of fear, we can love. We can love the way Jesus loves us. 
full of grace and mercy and truth. Joy. <laughs> joy beyond the superficial. Joy beyond the, the, just the things that make us happy. Because you, be, you, know, you can be hungry. You can have no job. You can have a lost career. You could be in the wake of something more tragic. And yet you can have a response. A true response of joy. Because of who he is. Not because of your circumstances. Because of who he is. Peace. Right? That peace that passes all understanding. You guys maybe heard that verse? It passes understanding, meaning it doesn't, it doesn't align with circumstances. Patience. Oh, why do we need patience? Because we don't trust in our ability to control the outcome. We're trusting that God's timing is right. So when we pray for something that doesn't happen right away, we don't get all freaked out. Everybody with me? We don't get all freaked out because maybe it isn't a yes or no. Maybe it's a wait. We need to have that faith response of patience. Kindness. Kindness because we can see that others' fear and brokenness exists just like ours. And it's this kindness that turns us to repentance. We talked about that in last series. It's this kindness that turns us to repentance, not judgment, not arguing, goodness, not just, not just to be good or to look like you're doing good for an Instagram moment, but to actually live a life that's good. Faithfulness, you want to know faithfulness is such a big deal? Because we're so outcome-driven people. And yet God did not call you to control the outcomes. He called you to be faithful to him. The outcomes are his responsibility. He called you to be faithful to him. So we have to live in a way that when those things rise up in us, we don't rush to try to control it, but we rush to be faithful. Because that's all we can actually control is our faithfulness to God. Gentleness, because he's so gentle to us. Self-control, <laughs> again, man, just because we talked about it. Self-control, because the waves of emotions will beat you down like a tidal wave. Like it will just, it will just come at you and it, and it will tempt you. The waves of emotions will tempt you to want to float back and forth and be tossed about by the waves. But you do not have to respond in your life like that. You have an anchor in Jesus Christ. You have an anchor of absolute hope that you can respond with the self-control, power, love, and a sound mind. These are supernaturally given to you because the one who, the, the, the power that raised Christ from the dead now resides in you and me. This is a faith response. Our faith response is always driven by who he is. Not what's happening, not what's coming our way, but who he is. Not what could be. If you recognize those words, by the way, congratulations, you were taught this at some point. Those are what's actually called the fruit of the Spirit. Paul actually tells the church in Galatia, oh, by the way, this is what it looks like when you're walking with him. This is what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, produces in you and out of you. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No such law against these things. 
Because again, they were talking about the whole legalistic stuff. Like He's like, no, there's no such law in there. I want you to see this. How do you get there? This is in verse 25. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified their flesh. They're not living out of their sinful nature with its passions and desires. And because we live by the Spirit, let us, and I want you to read the phrase with me. Let us what? Keep in step with the Spirit. Say it one more time. Ready? Keep in step with the Spirit. Capital S. Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Well, you guys remember when you were kids and you played uh, a three-legged race? You guys remember that? Right? That's all. Listen, when I think about this verse, that's always what I think about. What does keeping in step with the Holy Spirit look like? It looks like we're, we're locked together. We're joined in. And I have to figure out how to keep pace. Because the Spirit's there. He's connected. He's not going anywhere. But I got to learn not to take off like this joker and this fool, right? <laughs> and keep pace with the Spirit. And then, you know, it's funny. When I was thinking about this, I was like, golly, I wonder what it looks like when we're just keeping pace with the spirit of fear. What does that look like? And, and I know it's funny because it, it came to my mind. This is what it reminded me of. <laughs> now, for everybody that's under 35, this is a movie that came out in 1989 called Weekend at Bernie's. Okay. Not gonna tell you it wasn't. It was. It wasn't. Didn't win any Emmy awards. Just want you to know. Okay, no Oscars, no Oscars. But these two guys, for a weekend, pass off their boss, who dies, passes him off as as if he's alive. And there's actually a scene in here where they both strap their legs to him and try to walk him around, like he's living. Listen, as funny as that is, because it was it was a funny movie. It invokes a lot of funny memories. I, I, just, I just sat there and thought, gosh, is this what it looks like when we're claiming to be followers of Jesus, but we're keeping really in step with the spirit of fear? And we put shades on and we masquerade as if it's alive, but we're just dragging a corpse around. There's no life coming. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, a dead, lifeless corpse. He gave us power and love and a sound mind. And it just takes a moment sometimes to recognize it. To just recognize it. And sometimes, listen, you have to find out the hard way sometimes. I'll close with this story really quickly. Um, and I'm lying when I say quickly. I'll close with this story. Uh, if you want to know, know more about it, my wife actually, she wrote a book. It's called Crowning Wisdom. She started the book with this. And this is just one of those moments where God had to kind of put me through the ringer to a certain degree, to begin to recognize some significant things that, in terms of my response that I just wasn't dealing with. So early in ministry, and I mean early in ministry, this was our first ministry post, right? First full-time ministry post was at a church in Hickory. And, and my wife's family lives in Lexington, and we would oftentimes, we'd just left Lexington and gone to Hickory, and we would go back and forth to still see friends and see family. But we were having a, a car issue that we couldn't figure out. And, I, and, and just up to this point, you needed to know, car issues were my button. Okay, everybody with me? Oh, you know you've got a button. They were my button. They were the quickest way in which I would start to argue with God because God wasn't holding up his end of the deal. Because I couldn't stand car issues. Nothing made me feel more out of control than car issues. And worse was car issues on my wife's car when I wasn't there. 
Oh, everybody feel that one? Yeah. And this was on my wife's car. And we would drive it back and forth, and, and we couldn't, listen, we couldn't figure it out. It was an issue where it wouldn't start. And it was one of those inexplicable things that, like, sometimes it'd be fine. And mechanics couldn't figure out what it was. And all of a sudden, we'd be somewhere, and we couldn't start the car. I mean, we're talking about the most frustrating thing in the world. So we go back to Lexington one night. We're having dinner with friends, and Lexington rolls its streets up about 8.15-ish or so. Um, and we probably were out there till 10 or 11, and we're going to take this late drive home back to Hickory. And everybody's left. You know, we're the last ones. We've said goodbye to everybody. They've all left. We get in the car. It, we are parked on Main Street. We get in the car. Guess what? Won't start. Now, I don't know how much cursing I did. But in the moment, it was all quiet and under my breath and in my head. So we popped the hood, like, you know, everybody does. I know nothing about cars. <laughs> Convinced that we would just, there'd be a sign with an arrow pointing. <laughs> we popped the trunk to see what kind of tools Tracy has in her car. She has nothing. I think she said she had a towel or something. And what was rolling around back there was bothering me were these little cast iron weights. You guys know what I'm talking about? Little cast iron, like three pounders or five pounders. Yeah, barbells, little bar, little cast iron things. And she would take and, I don't know, do CrossFit or something. I don't know what she was doing. But they were rolling around the trunk. Well, I was like, that's great. Grabbed it, took it to the front of the car. And my initial thought, I remember my initial thought was just kind of hit the wire on the battery, you know, just kind of like. Tick, 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 this. Tracy was going to try to start the car. And I, you know, I kind of like tick to tick, and she's starting. And for whatever reason, I, all I saw was red. And I unleashed fury on this engine. <laughs> Tracy's words, not mine. She thought I hit it a thousand times. I beat, I unleashed every, I lost my stuff on that car. In that moment, like lost everything. Beat this, beat this engine as hard as I could with a cast iron barbell, of which Tracy's laughing. Because, you know, most of the time it's a joke. She had not realized I had crossed the line. So she ended up getting out, and I ended up throwing the barbell in the trunk and closing the hood and getting in the car, and then I locked the door on her. She was out calling us, calling somebody. I don't know, who'd you call? Your aunt. She called her aunt to see if she could come get us, you know. Her parents were probably already in bed. It was late. She calls her aunt up. But I wouldn't let her in the car. And again, all she hears is mumbling, cursing. I'm hitting the, 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 the steering wheel. I am so at my wit's end. And... and and later on, you know, we end up getting help. She comes and helps us. We get it towed to a mechanic, and we end up driving home that night. And believe it or not, we went, you know, we, drew, we towed it to the mechanic, and guess what happened the next day? He went to start the car, started right up. <laughs> he fixed it. He fixed it. There, see? <laughs> but we were driving home, and Tracy felt very, uh, she was very compassionate to me because I was broken. And I couldn't even realize I got there. And believe it or not, not only did it break me, but then the enemy wanted to use it to shame me. Shame me for how weak I really was. And, and, and how easily something like this just, just threw me. 
And I have a wonderful wife who spoke the truth and the word of God over me. And, and have I had car trouble since then? Absolutely. But I had to recognize that there was a button there that didn't need to be there. I had to recognize that there were, there were things in the way I would respond to car issues and troubles that went so much deeper than car issues and troubles. And it wasn't until a moment like that that God brought me through. Oh, it was ugly. Because we can't change what we weren't willing to identify. And maybe God's already done that for you. He's shown you some of the ugliness and the brokenness in your life that's rooted into that spirit of fear. But maybe you haven't worked through it yet. You're not on the other side yet. I'm not going to say that I'll never get mad at a car trouble again, right? But I can tell, my wife could tell you this, that button no longer exists in the same way. Because I had to recognize where the, where the enemy had a stronghold on me, which we're going to talk a little bit more about next week, where the enemy had a stronghold on me. And I didn't come out of that state victorious. I came out of that feeling weak and broken and ashamed. And God had to do some work in me. Because I didn't even, I would have never told you. I would have never been able to recognize that was a spirit of fear. That was rooted in a spirit of fear. That anger, that fury, that frustration, all of it was rooted there. In order for God to do a work in and through me. And our desire, again, our desire for this, guys, is that we can get ourselves to the other side. You're not, you don't get a free pass in a broken world. I'm just, I'm just letting you know, God doesn't give you a free pass in a broken world, but he promised he'd be with you. Which is why part of our response, our, our response plan, needs to be based in who he is. That our responses are based in who he is, not simply in what we can control, in what could be, because that's where fear lives. Let's pray together today. Father God, thank you for um, just Paul's letter to this church and the way it resonates to us. Your Holy Spirit inspired word to this church just means so much to our church and to us because you, you haven't called us to live in fear. You've called us to freedom. And yet, God, our heart is broken for me and others that, that have had to work through these experiences, maybe even some of us the hard way, of recognizing where the spirit of fear was in our response in everything and we had just normalized it. God, would you continue to do the work that I believe you were already doing before people showed up this morning, which is begin to soften our hearts to recognize and identify the areas of our life where we live in a spirit of fear. And we respond that way. And God, by your spirit, your Holy Spirit, would you begin to produce that fruit as we surrender that to you, as we confess that to you, as we share it with you and are honest with ourselves and others, that, that this is an issue for us, God, would you just begin that work? Because you were the one who promised you would produce it in us. We want our, our responses to life to be driven by our faith and our trust in you so that we can experience the freedom, not only that you freed us to, but we can stay free in you. 
We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.